Hey folks, this is Doug Jones, founder and CEO of Get Elected. Today's episode of the Elephant in the Room podcast with Sam DeMarco is one that hits particularly close to home for me. School board candidates across the country are grappling with unprecedented polarization, resulting in communities full of neighbors who simply don't listen to each other any longer. And I'm unaware of any community more polarized at the moment than Bill Jasper's home district. In my new book, Off Center, I've unpacked media-driven polarization's impact on small towns nationwide within the context of my own school board run in Bill's district just a few years ago. My hope is that we can bring civil discourse and general pragmatism back to community politics where it belongs. Off Center is available now at Amazon.com. Good afternoon, folks. It's that time again. It's time for the elephant in the room here on WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM Talk. Now, folks, I don't know how many of you folks know this, but again, uh, this show is also a podcast. is available on Apple, Amazon, and Spotify. So we have a great show today. Very excited uh, to talk about what we have with our guests. But before I do that, I want to introduce the other folks that are joining me today. As always, Robin to my Batman, John Schneider, the only guy that can say less, you say less words than Calvin Coolidge. I mean, I think this must have been John's hero growing up, but he's a, a man of few words. And as always, our producer, dazzling Daryl Grandy, the man who makes all the magic happen and helps us get this information out to you, our listeners, and we couldn't be more appreciative for Daryl's efforts. Guys, thank you for joining us. And also joining us in studio today are two candidates for school directors mm-hmm. in Allegheny County. Now, <clears throat> folks, we've been doing this show for over a year, and we have uh, you know all time of, types of folks on. We typically have candidates for higher office, whether they're running for the United States Senate, for the governor's mansion, uh, state legislators, state senators, and so on and so forth. We've had uh, you know captains of industry in here. We've had the heads of chambers of commerce. But this is the first time today, folks, we're going to be talking to a couple school directors. And I think it's really about time and very relevant as many of our folks are wondering what is going on in our schools today. So joining us today, first, I want to introduce Bill Jasper. Bill is running for be school director in Quaker Valley. And Bill has spent the last 30 years of his business career helping U.S. firms, including nonprofits and college, expand their reach into other countries. For a good part of that time, while the U.S. has been bathed in the afterglow of having liberated the world from tyranny, other countries listened to us, respected us, and smiled at our, at our ability to speak their language or understand their culture and politics. Now, Bill has a B.A. in International Relations from the University of the Americas, a B.I.M. From Interna- in International Finance from Thunderbird Graduate School, and an M.B.A. in International Marketing from George Mason University. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Then I'd also like to introduce our other school director today, Phil Morissette. Phil is running to be the Pine Richland School Director, and Phil is a PR Kids First District 3 candidate. Phil believes that he'll bring leadership, technical, and financial expertise to the Pine Richland School Board. Now, Phil's currently retired and works part-time as a consultant with a Pittsburgh private equity firm, but he spent 34 years with Alcoa delivering global IT policy strategy and execution as the company's chief information officer. Most recently, Phil worked with Matthews International, leading the development of their information technology group into a worldwide accountable organization. He's led teams of individuals from across the world, equipping them with skills to engage our diverse community. Phil has lived in Richland Township for the last 25 years. He and his wife, Corinne, have raised three children, all proud graduates of the Pine Richland School District. Phil believes that all parents play a pivotal role in their children's development, including their education, and he desires transparent and open dialogue between our schools and the community. Phil, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sam. Glad to be here. So, folks, you got to forgive me if I make a mistake, but I got Phil and Bill here, okay? Yeah. And, and, you know, somebody who says as much as I do <laughs> can't help but put their foot in their mouth occasionally. So, if I do do that, uh, please forgive me. But hey, guys, you know, thank you all for being here today. And I think our listeners are going to be very excited to learn, you know, why you're running, why you think it's important that you serve on the school board, and what the the key issues are in your school district. So, Phil, do you want to go first? Tell us a little bit, what what made you decide to run for school director? Because, I mean, your kids are gone from school now, right? right? They graduated. That's right, yes. And so what's made you decide 
to get involved and run for school director in Pine Richland? No, that, I mean, that's a good question. And, and a lot of people have been asking me that because you're right. My kids have all gone through the school system and they're on their way. I, I'm about two months away from getting into Medicare facilities. So it's like, what are you doing? Well, I, I'll tell you what. It comes down to I, I love our country, the United States of America. I love our country. But I'm telling you, it, right now, we're going through a world of hurt in this country right now. And when you look at everything that's going on, it's come obvious to me that I got, I got no impact, absolutely no impact on the federal level. I have no impact on our state level. Look what's going on with our state, right, with the elections and all that. Mm-hmm. And I look at the county, uh, very, very little impact. And so you have to think about if you want to make change, where does it start? It starts locally. And I look at and I says, I can absolutely make an impact at our local community, and it starts with our school board. And so I've decided to step up and to help to make sure that we can carry forward with the parents and with the children in our Pine, our Pine Richland School District. And that's really where we're standing right now. I got to make an impact local community, and that's where it's going to start with the school board. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I, thank you for getting involved. One of the challenges that I have as a chairman of the party is trying to help recruit candidates you know, run for these offices. It's always a challenge. And we have so many people out there that are incredibly, you know, well-educated and have a tremendous number of, of great skill sets, skill sets that are in demand. But so many times people shy away, you know, and don't want to get involved mm-hmm. because, you know, while, as you said, Phil, you have the opportunity to make a difference locally, right? Other Correct. folks also see the see-me side of politics, you know, and yeah. unfortunately you'll see that in a school board race as well, but don't want to get involved, you know. So, Bill... Tell us why you decided to you step know, up and run for school director in Quaker Valley. You know, it, it, it really is similar. I'm retired 12 years, and I spent my time traveling all over the world helping people like companies like Alcoa uh, get a foothold uh, internationally, uh, either through selling their products and, and then making investments overseas, and then really just kind of uh, doing what they do in the United States, but doing it all over the world. So... I had a perspective that was really unusual because I got to talk to a lot of people all over the world and I saw how important education was to them. And uh, as a retired guy, I'm really worried that this country is kind of falling apart. I think Mm -hmm. we are not uh, many of the same concerns that I think Phil has. Uh, I, I think our republic is definitely in jeopardy. I think that we are disintegrating as a country and when I trace it all back, I think the heart of it, all of it, is education. And I'm really concerned about the, the ideology and the awareness and the naivety that we have in this country about uh, things that we just uh, take for granted. And so I want to be part of that process. But for me, there was another issue, too, and that is uh, our school district is uh, we have a 100-year-old high school. So, okay, I, I acknowledge that there, there is a need to look at building a new high school. But the current school board uh, has decided to really go too far, in my opinion, because uh, they're about to spend 20 to $40 million more than what they have to to build a new high school. And they've abandoned entirely the idea of trying to do it at the existing site. And they bought a new site that is totally unsuitable for any kind of commercial development uh, much less a uh, school district. So there are enormous uh, cost issues associated with uh, developing land that really isn't suitable for development. And then uh, there are issues with uh, s- safety for the commuters to and from the school. And there are issues at the school itself because I think it's, ex- it's so remote and so far away from first responders that if there's any problem there, and it could be something as simple as a heart attack uh, or, or something else, or, or as complicated as, as a shooter or a suicide or, or, or something like that, which unfortunately is, is becoming more and more, uh, is happening more and more in, in uh, public school systems. I just think that they've made such a colossal mistake that I wanted to get involved to try to stop that and, and make sure that the taxpayers knew that there was a plan B, that we, we could do something that was far safer uh, far less costly, and uh, certainly more certain of being completed. Well, you, you've, you've laid out a number of things here 
you know, with, with, with what you've just described, mm -hmm. but let help our listeners understand. Like, so when you talked about, you believe that the current school board is taking and looking to build something that you said, I think 20 to $40 million more than what they need to. So what they're trying not to build, what you're saying they're trying to build is a Taj Mahal as yeah. opposed to a school that's an adequate replacement to provide a good quality education for the students in Quaker Valley, correct? That is absolutely correct. They are, they are spending way more than what we need to do to provide quality education to the kids that are in a high school. And I look at a high school where we have round numbers, 600 kids, and, and we're looking at spending over $100 million on 600 kids. I, I kind of jokingly say it would be better off to take that money and, and uh, have them go subsidize the tuition to go to a private school. <laughs> It's just crazy how much money we are spending. And it's also at a time when uh, teachers unions, I mean, rightly so, everybody is, is reacting to uh, the pressures of inflation, the fact that you can't buy groceries, you know, gasoline prices are higher and everything else, that uh, the teachers is saying, well, what about us? You're gonna spend all this money on a Taj Mahal, like you say, a monument to the school district and, and you're not spending it on us. So I, I see a lot of, conflict emerging within the school district. Certainly parents are unhappy uh, about having to spend this kind of money and pay the kind of taxes that we're gonna have to pay uh, for this colossal mistake. And, and fortunately, we still have a long way to go before they put a shovel in the ground. And I'm gonna do everything I can to stop it. Well, let me ask you a, a question. You, you said earlier, well, go back. Let me go back first to the Taj Mahal comment. Okay, mm -hmm. um, kids in high school are only going to be there four years. Right. It's the teachers and administrators who are going to be there for the next twenty-five to thirty. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so who are we really building? You know, this school for. So I think folks need taxpayers need to consider that when they hear the it's for the kids. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Who's it really for? It is definitely for the kids, but for over twenty, uh, for almost a hundred years we've provided a pretty good quality of education in a decrepit building. So mm -hmm. I don't think the building is the key. The key is, like you say, the, the teachers and, and the curriculum. And what's important is if you spend 20 to $40 million more, the debt service on that, those bonds and that debt is money that won't make it to the classroom, that won't have any impact on the quality of the education there, but it's just going to debt service to build those buildings. Now, yeah. uh, before I... Can, can, I, can I just add the other issue? Sure. I mean, the, certainly there's the issue of the direct costs. You know, writing a check for $100 million versus writing a check for $75, 80000000 million, say. But, but there also are the indirect costs because of the safety issues. You don't know how many people are going to be, you know, uh, unfortunately hurt or, uh, you know, possibly killed on this street the connect this roadway that connects with the proposed high school we don't know how many you know there are at least 25 homes down below this is in a landslide prone area now we can spend a lot of money on engineering and maybe solve provide a a, an, a engineered solution to uh landslide but you're never going to mitigate it entirely so if that if that hillside comes down uh, there are going to be a lot of people that could be injured or their property would be destroyed. So there's a lot of indirect costs associated with this thing as well as the direct costs. And that's the part that they just don't have an appreciation for or they tend to dismiss it. Well, that's what that, that's where I was going to go with this. You had mentioned that the property was ill-suited for this type of development. And I was going to ask you what that was about. But And you just explained a little bit about it, but it's mm -hmm. in, in a landslide prone area. And you would think, I mean, have these folks considered, you don't have to look far, just look right down Route 65, you know, where they were going to build that Walmart, okay? And they started developing yeah. the property, and it started to experience the slides, and they had to take and call off the call off the, uh, the development. So, you know, these folks, I mean, have they given thought? or They, they, they have, Sam, but they dismiss it. The geology is the same. The topography is the same. The water underground, uh, surface water, uh, history of landslides, everything else is, is the same, but they think that our engineers are going to be smarter. They, they think that uh, they're going to be smarter than the Walmart engineers, that, that, that they're somehow going to be able to deal with this. And, you know, I don't doubt if you throw enough money at, at most problems, you could probably mitigate the risk. 
but there is all you're never going to mitigate it entirely so there is always an opportunity for that hillside to come down and it could come down not only after the building is built but it could come down particularly in the beginning when when they are doing the earthwork and when they're using explosives you know to uh blast the earth and mm-hmm. move, move the earth around things like that there is plenty of opportunity for things to go wrong. So the school board is, is hiding behind the, the very same engineer that, that told them not to take this property, even if it was offered as a gift uh, and for free. I mean, they decided to spend $9.4 million to buy the property. Wow. But, uh, you know, so the same engineer that told them not to take it is now telling them that there is an engineered solution to the landslide problem. So there's definitely a conflict of interest and, and there's definitely, uh, you know, it's like I said, if you throw enough money at any problem, you can you can mitigate it, but you can't eliminate it. Well, when you risk. talk about an engineered solution, I mean, obviously engineers would be interested because it's money, Absolutely. Right? You know, and, uh, and I can tell you, this region is very prone to landslides. I mean, I serve on county council as the at-large representative representing mm-hmm. all of Allegheny County. It was just a few years ago when we had a number of rains, which caused extensive landslides throughout the county, mm-hmm. we saw Route 30, you know, out there in Forest Hills, I mean, completely collapse, mm-hmm. okay, and, and close. I mean, that was something that uh, you, I mean, I, I still have pictures of that. You'd have to see it to believe it. You know, it was it was like something out of a one of those disaster movies. Yeah. You know, where you see like the earth, you know, just giving way and, and gaping craters there. So, um, you know, that is something certainly to be to, to be concerned about. So, Phil, let me ask you a question. Sure. So it sounds like, you know, uh, Bill, in Quaker Valley, some of the biggest issues or one of the, the hot topics right now is about the building of the new high school. What what are the issues that are front and center for the folks in Pine Richland? Well, the way I look at it, Sam, is I, I kind of there's, – there's quite a few, but there, I break it down as simple as I can into three, mm-hmm. okay? The kids, parents, and community, all right? And I'll talk a little bit about what each of them means. When I think about the kids, one thing we have to look at is that we need to recover from our academic learning loss when COVID shut down. Absolutely. Okay? So if, if you look at what's happened, the, the PSSA test that 7th and all, all, the, all the schools or uh, grades go through, on the 7th and 8th grade um, students, we were at 68% proficiency in math pre-COVID, Okay. Pretty good. You compare that against the rest of the school oh in Pennsylvania, yes. yep. it's excellent, right? So we go to post-COVID. Yeah, it was hard. Uh, I mean, with lockdowns, keeping kids out of school with the mask and all that. It was very, very difficult uh, on the children. But we are now, on the 7th and 8th graders, we are down 20 points. We are running at 48% math wow. proficiency. Wow. Two years running. All right, 21 and 22. So two years running. So what are we doing in the school to turn that around? Well, we haven't heard any any answers. So what you do is you go, because it's not the teacher's fault. They're still trying to perform, right? It's the environment that the kids were in with the lockdowns, coming mm-hmm. out of the lockdown. So how do you figure this out? Do you, do you think I can sit up high and say, well, I think I know how to solve that? No, I know. You've got to go to the battleground. So you talk to the teachers. And we did. PR kids first. Um, our three candidates, Leslie Miller, Mike Weathorn, and myself, we sat down with the teachers and said, how do you fix this? And they were very forthright. They said there's, there's three problems. Right now, the administration is giving the test online. No more pencil and paper, so it's all online. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and the teachers believe that that's a contributing factor to the lower scores. The second all is that we well, have— Let me ask you, yes. if I may, how so? Why do they believe the the impact? Why do they believe doing it online versus well, pencil and pen is, right. uh, is 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 contributing to that? Because when you're going online and you look at the type, they they showed me the types of questions that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, I don't even think I can solve some of the math problems because they're paragraphs. Oh wow! Okay. They're not they're not basic math type of things. There's kind of paragraphs listed, and you have to figure this out, and it's very difficult for them to do that. This was a recommendation by the Pennsylvania School Board, and they it's, it's a recommendation. It's not mandatory, but the school district has decided that that's what they want to do and to put this in place. 
The other thing is that you've got kids who are truancy now because I got a cold, I got to stay home, I don't want to go to school. And Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of that. So what are they doing to make sure we get the kids back in the classroom, get there, get in front of the teachers so the teachers can help them with their education? And third, there's a lot of cheating that goes on. So you think with the cheating, you think the scores would come up, right? But, But they're not. And so the teachers basically said, you need to go to pencil and paper to try to take the test. And you got to work on trying to get the kids into school and focused on that. And the fact that one of the teachers gave it a very informal, which is like, like a survey over, oh gosh, over a hundred of their students and said, if you had a preference, would you like to see your test on pencil and paper or online? 72% said, I want to go pencil and paper. It's kids. That's the kids speaking right. up. They don't want to go online anymore. So that's the first thing about kids, making sure we recover our academic learning loss from COVID shutdown. The second thing for the parents is we need to keep them informed, involved, and influential in their children's education, right? They have to be involved. They can't just send them off to school and there they go because there's a lot of things that can happen to the children there. One of the things we have a policy in Pine Richland, it's called um, AR-103B. And in that policy, there's a stipulation that says if a child decides at whatever age, I'm, I'm talking any grade, mm-hmm. okay, uh, kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade, if a child w- is thinking about becoming transgender, wants to move from a boy to a girl, girl to a boy, because, you know, I'm just, things aren't just really good, but I think this is something I want to do. And the school hears about this. The school will work with that child. Okay, understand. But if the child says, uh, I don't want to tell my parents, in the policy, it states that the school has a, does not have to tell the parents. They keep it out. Keep it away from them. Okay? That's not good enough. The parents need to be involved in this. And so, yeah, that's the violation of parental rights. Absolutely. I mean, it, you're, you're, how, how, if your child is experiencing difficulties, okay, how, whether, regardless of what those difficulties are, how can the school district not share them with you so that you could help, you know, help your child in the hours that they're not in the classroom? I, I absolutely agree. The parents have got to be involved. And I'm not saying that the school doesn't deal with the issue, but they need to keep the parents informed. That's why keep parents informed, involved, and influential in their children's education as we go through this. Now, you'll hear the other side say, oh, yeah, but we, we want the parents involved. Okay, I'm fine. That's great. Fantastic then strike it from that policy. Take the word out. Right. And that's all we have to do. The third thing is the community, right? So we go from kids to parents to community. Similar to what Bill's dealing with, I want to make sure we have fiscal discipline on our annual financial budgets. So they just passed a budget for next year. Good. No millage increase. Fantastic. Okay. And I'm, I'm happy about that. So do I sit back and say, okay, that's fine. I, I just want to make sure we got a lot of money in Pine Richland, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars sitting on the budget. We want to make sure that we continue year after year after year that we are very fiscally responsible and making sure that we continue to do that. I'm not talking about taking money out. I'm talking about making sure we spend what we have and, and that's going to make sure we do that. So Again, that's what comes down to kids, parents, and communities. That's where the focus is be for me. Well, let me ask you a question. I mean, I think students all across the state suffered during the pandemic and the related shutdowns. Your scores are down, and I'm not aware of any schools in where they're up, okay? That's correct. So, uh, but these schools also received a tremendous amount of funding from the federal government in the last number of years. Why hasn't some of that been set aside to provide, you know, tutoring? to help some of our struggling students or even classes, okay? Um, you know, why haven't they tried to schedule you know, some other things? I mean, I know. listen, I know kids, they love to have summer off, okay? Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fine. But you know, why couldn't there be something that's voluntary where you know, children who do want to move forward to go to college, you know, to have other aspirations, have an opportunity to try to catch up you know, from what has certainly been, you know, a, a loss here uh, from a learning perspective. I mean, I, I must say in Quaker Valley, I, 
I have raised this as an issue as well, too, and, and I just get silence. I go to the board meetings. I hear no discussions about uh, trying to make up for lost time because we all know that kids suffered the most, and we all know that this was a totally bogus issue that, that uh, we had to deal with in the last three years. So I, I just think that you're right. I, I, I don't know that there has been an adequate assessment done of each student and, and what the deficit is in, in their learning over the last two to three years because of COVID. And, and I don't hear a specific plan to deal with it. Uh, now, as far as the money that they've gotten, uh, I, I don't know, Sam, to be honest. I, I've looked at some of the budgets. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen a lot of money that's just kind of filtered into the school system. So uh, because of COVID, I, I know that there's been some, but I, I truthfully, without having nose under the tent, I, I, I don't know exactly how that money has been spent. Well, you know, you, you, you bring something up here when we talk about teachers. This isn't about bashing teachers, okay? No, no, not at all. I mean, these folks have the opportunity. I mean, you know, um, when school was out, mm -hmm. you know, they did what was asked of them, which was try to teach remotely. Mm -hmm. It just turns out that that wasn't an effective way mm -hmm. to interact and for these kids to learn, okay? <clears throat> but the teachers... When they go back again, I mean, it's just as if they were off in the summer and they go back in the fall, they just pick up where they left off. Mm -hmm. But the kids, the kids who didn't make that progression from a learning perspective, you know, in those almost two years, they were out. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are suffering and they're, that's where we need to catch up with. Mm -hmm. Folks, we're going to cover this more in our second segment as soon as we come back from our break. You're listening to The Elephant in the Room on WJAS 1320 AM and Talk 99.1 FM. Folks, welcome back to The Elephant in the Room on WJS 1320 AM. We're here with our guest, Bill Jasper, candidate for Quaker Valley School Director, and Phil Morissette, who's running to be school director in the Pine Richland School District. In our first segment, we were talking about a number of things, why they were running, what the sole issues or the key issues were in their districts. You know, Bill talked about Quaker Valley. It's the building of a new high school, which is front and center there and concerns that some parents have, and one of the reasons he's running, is because he believes that the current school board is spending far in excess of what they need to on a new school, as well as trying to build this on a questionable lot or property, you know, one that's prone to landslides. You know, and, and Phil was talking about in their school district how the test scores for the kids for math have dropped by 20 points from what they were pre-pandemic, from 68%. Uh, proficiency to 48% and talked about what they're running on are the kids, the community and what parents, was it? And par parents, kids, parents and the community. So mm -hmm. uh, going back to our, our two guests here, Bill, uh, we were just talking about the, the high school mm -hmm. in the first segment. And, you know, I think you adequately explained it about how you felt that they were spending far in excess of what was necessary to be able to build a first class high school. Mm -hmm. You know, to teach the 600 students mm -hmm. that would be in that school in the Quaker Valley mm -hmm. School District. Mm -hmm. How is this being positioned by the current school board? Are they trying to take and paint folks like yourself as either either you need to be for everything they're doing or you're against the kids? Uh, help me understand the well, politics at play. Uh, how they're dealing with it. They're stonewalling the whole thing and, and pretending that it doesn't exist. And, and they've got a communications department that has churned out all kinds of videos and fancy-looking brochures and everything else to support the fact that they're doing the right thing, that they're worried about security, that they're worried about money, that they're worried about all these things. But it's all disingenuous. It, it is, is not truthful. In fact, I cover that to a great extent on my website. I take apart all of the videos mm -hmm. that they have produced and I show how about how they're really missing the issue. You know, uh, safety is a good example. The superintendent will come out and say, trust us, we're gonna do everything that we have to do to make sure that this is a safe location and you know, no problems. Well, I, I think that that's probably a true statement, but what it misses is the fact that the site is so remote, so far away, and so difficult for first responders to get to. I mean, I went to a school board meeting the other night, and they're talking about uh, how they teach the kids among, you know, the various security things that they, they kind of go over with the kids every year so that if there is an emergency, if there's a fire or if there's a shooter or something mm -hmm. like that, that there at least is some basic uh, training for the kids on how to respond 
to that. Well, one of them is stop the bleed. And I, and I, I said, well, okay, that must mean some kind of compression or something. Somebody cuts themselves and they have to, uh, to stop the bleed. And, and then I start thinking, and then they asked, well, the safety, uh, the security guy, have you uh, done an assessment of, of the proposed high school site? And the answer is no, they haven't involved them in it at all, which surprised me, first off. But the second thing is I started thinking, well, stop the bleed. If this site is a mile further from the hospital and a mile further from first responders in Swickley and in Edgeworth and a half a mile, three quarters of a mile further from the first responders in Leedsdale, well, time, you can bleed a lot in, in the time that it takes to, to cover that additional distance. So it just seems very kind of disingenuous to me. It's not, they're, they're missing the entire issue about what it is. And then the site itself, there's only two ways in there, are two driveways to get in. One to get in, one to get out. If there's something going on at that site, I mean, you can just imagine all the first responders trying to get there, all the parents trying to get there, and then all the kids and the faculty trying to get out of there. It's gonna be an enormous clash because there just isn't any other way to get out of there. They need something like an emergency only road, but that isn't in their budget. And they won't do it unless they're compelled to do it as we get into the planning commission process. Now, how do I know it's a, it's a, it's a legitimate issue and concern here? Because I, I've called on round numbers, uh, 650 people. As I did a lot of door knocking during my primary. And I talked to a lot of people, well over 400 people either at the polls or at their residence. And I would start out and I'd ask them, I'd say I'm running for school director, but uh, you know, I wouldn't prejudice the conversation. I'd say, what, what, is, what are your issues with the school district? And if they didn't really have anything that came directly to mind, I would prompt them a little bit. Well, you know, I'm hearing that uh, the high cost of building this high school uh, on the hilltop is an issue for some people. Oh yeah, then I get the confirmation. And I found it in, in all of the people that I talked to that fewer than five out of 100 people that I talked to really want to see this high school built. So it is a wedge issue, and it's a much bigger issue than the school district gives their constituents credit for. I mean, they're just not listening to their constituents. Well, Bill, you mentioned you had a website in which you take and I do. debunk some of the information. Could you share with our listeners what the website address is? Yeah, I'll go slowly. Engine. that's P-O-L-I-Engine.com. So uh, if they go to that website, they will see all of the issues that I have, mainly the high school project, but also issues on parental rights, uh, issues on what I call education integrity, you know, which is kind of like... The, the building is, is not the most important thing. There are a lot of other things that are important to the education of our, our kids. So I don't understand the preoccupation with the Taj Mahal, as we talked about earlier. Okay, and that website again was? It's Bill Jasper, B-I-L-L Jasper, J-A-S-P-E-R dot poly, P-O-L-I, engine, E-N-G-I-N-E dot com. Okay, thank you. Now, Phil, yeah. I mean, you're running here uh, in, in the Pine Bridge and School Board, okay, and you're a Kids First candidate. Yep. Could you tell us a little bit about if someone wanted to learn more about your candidacy and Kids First, where would they go? Yeah, that's a very good. Nice lead-in from the website that, that Bill <laughs> just said, so thank you for that, Sam. <laughs> yeah, we actually do have um, a lot of presence on social media, and we're growing that social media. Right now, our website is www dot prkidsfirst.com so prkidsfirst p-r-k-i-d-s-f-i-r-s-t.com all one word there um, and we basically are doing this to make transparency to parents my second point was making sure we keep parents informed let's use that website because when we have board meetings and what's been decided on a board meeting like they just recently had a vote on the strategic plan uh, for the administration, and in, in early in June, there was a five to four vote down. They voted down, and that's like unheard of. And so they voted down the strategic plan, which in our estimation at PR Kids First, that was a good thing. 
because when when I personally looked at the strategic plan, and, and I got I, I got to tell you, it was coming from a business world. When you get a strategic plan, when I would read this, it's a word salad. It was an absolute mm-hmm. word salad. Mm-hmm. I and and they would try to talk to you about it, and it would go round and round and round with words. And the second thing that 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 did not have that strategic plan is it did not have any measurements. How do you know after one year if you're successful or not? Nothing to measure. Mm-hmm. It's all we believe. We we think we did good. And so that's something that was missing. Now, fast forward a couple of weeks, just recently, they did vote to approve it because they did make some changes. And I'm in the middle right now trying to understand what kind of changes they made. However, I do know that there's still no measurements. And so getting into the board and getting into this information, that's something that I will hope to help drive is we got to have some measurements in there to make sure we're successful. But we use that to try to keep parent the website to use keep parents informed. And so by going there, we have all kinds of articles, all kinds of blogs of the recent goings on inside not only the campaign, but also what's going on in the school board. Mm-hmm. And so we provide information. So the next two pieces of information coming out uh, is based upon what happened on the recent school board. So we're going to write an article and put it out there and say, why was the strategic plan finally approved? And so we'll have some information on that. So that's one way that we've got Facebook, we've got uh, Instagram and so forth. And we tie them all together so that you can go from Facebook right into PRKidsFirst.com uh, and get and get some uh, information. Well, if you're a voter in the Pine Woodson School District, <clears throat> you, you should be listening to Phil Morissette because as a former chief information officer for a global 500 company, mm-hmm. he certainly understands what it takes to put together a strategic plan and what a good strategic plan encompasses. And word salads, you know, are not one of them. Okay, no, no. yeah, you know, you have to you have to provide, you know, what's what's our mi- our, our mission? Where are we going with this? Well, you know, what's our strategy and our tactics to get there? And it seems like a lot of that was missing. Well, I, I tell you, when you listen to, and I'm not going to hit on the administration, but when I hear had them talk about, and they go into a long discussion, and I know this happens in business is you get bored listening and then you shut down mm-hmm. and then they keep going on and then all of a sudden that they win because you just got lost. You're tuned out, yes. You're tuned out. And and we cannot be tuned out. We have to be tuned in and you gotta keep things simple. That's why when I talk to you, Sam, I say, Well, what's the big, the three things that you're worried about? Kids, parents, community. Start you with that so you can put your head around that. And then you expand upon that a little bit. bit. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to work on on a strategic plan is you start small, something you can chew off, and then you build upon that so that and it's measurable. Well, I think it's important. And I, and I got to tell you, you know, both I respect you both because I think you guys have your priorities straight, okay? And your focus is on the children. Absolutely. You know? I, mean, Absolutely. I mean, you, Phil, you, you guys, you know, kids first. I mean, your priorities, I mean, the kids, they're, they're the ones that come first. And again, when we talked here in our first segment, I mean, that was the first thing you talked about was the loss in learning achievement mm-hmm. that these folks have gone through and how you have yet to see any definitive plan put forth, you know, by the current administration or current school board correct? on how they're going to take and correct that and help these kids recover, you know, from that learning loss. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and Bill, I mean, you're concerned, you know, kids first, obviously you're concerned about not just, you know, what, what building they'll be sitting in, you know, to, to learn in the future, but also the safety of those kids Absolutely. that are there. Absolutely. You know, and uh, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of place. So guys, if, you know, I talked about your websites, we gave your, the, our mm-hmm. listeners the opportunity for your websites. We talked about some of the other issues. What haven't we talked about that you think is important for our listeners to know? Bill, go ahead first. Um, there's a kind of a sleeper issue out there, and that is uh, in January, uh, early February, there was a settlement in the Commonwealth Court that basically said that uh, the funding of public schools via real estate taxes is unconstitutional. Now, I've talked to Valerie Gatos, you know, our state representative. Mm-hmm. So far, we haven't seen any specific legislation that's uh, come about in, in the uh, state government on, on this issue. But at some point, uh, I think they're going to have to deal with the whole issue of funding for public schools because the issue is, okay, you've got rich school districts and you've got poor school districts. And, and theoretically, you get a better quality of education and a richer one than a, than a poorer one. 
So to equalize that all out, the funding of public schools might be like the funding for colleges and universities in the state of Pennsylvania. It might come out of general revenues instead of real estate taxes. Now, taxpayers may like that idea because they think, oh boy, my real estate taxes are gonna go down because school board or school is, is uh, the biggest portion of my uh, real estate taxes, but it's gonna be offset. Some, I mean, there is no free way of funding public schools, but I think if that happens and it comes out of general revenues, I think it's gonna be a lot like the, uh, the state university system where it's gonna drive consolidation. So I think we, we could face the loss of autonomy in the future. Quaker Valley might not exist as a school district, you know, 10 years from now, five years from now, who knows? So I think that's kind of a sleeper issue that just isn't out there. And it's another reason why, why would you embark on, you know, a hundred million dollar high school project and fund it with bonds that are, you know, payable out over a 20 year period or, or whatever it is, when, uh, when there's this kind of existential issue that's out there. I also wonder uh, what's going on with the, uh, our current uh, banking crisis and financial crisis in, in general. As the federal government continues to monetize our debt and we continue to borrow more and more and more, it could be that school districts get crowded out of the debt markets. They might not be able to sell their debt and they think that they can, but they might not be able to. And, uh, and, and, and if it, and if, if it, you know, all of this unfunded spending uh, continues to push on inflation, then the cost of building a $100 million project becomes $110 million. And, and uh, I'm not sure about the funding in, in the, uh, for the pension system for the school teachers either. I th I've heard that that's been woefully underfunded. And so uh, if there is financial distress caused by continuing inflation, uh, I, I could see uh, issues with uh, the solvency of the, of the pension plans for the teachers. That's, that's another issue that needs to look, be looked at. I, I don't have all the answers for that. I just know that it would be on my radar, something that I would be looking at if I got on the school board. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But in that decision that was issued by Commonwealth Court and Judge Renee Cohn-Jubilair, mm -hmm. uh, she, she, what they said was that they agreed that the funding uh, for schools you know, was unequal, but she didn't issue a ruling or any type of decision or recommendation on how to go about fixing it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so when you look at this, you know, there's a lot of uh, opportunities for folks. I mean, do you, for me or for folks from the right, is this an opportunity where you provide funding through the student? Each student gets X amount from the state in the form of a voucher, and then wherever they choose to go to school, yeah, you know that school then receives that amount of money, and that's how schools would be funded, as opposed to today, where we're funding the districts without regard to enrollment. Yeah, I mean, or decreases. I don't have all the answers to that, but it, but it is a, it is an existential issue for school districts, and it could drive the consolidation of school districts because it could be just like the post office. You know, you only have so much money to spend. There's a lot of political pressure to keep your local post office, but we all know that post offices have been consolidated. I think if it, if it came down to it where the state was spending it, even if it was distributed through the individual families and, and parents of kids that are, are going to school, they could be making choices that could really affect the ongoing viability of the public school system altogether. No, that, that, that's certainly, uh, you know, certainly true. And again, we don't know what's going to happen there, you know, but yeah. it's something to keep an eye on. Now, uh, Phil. Uh, no, I, I agree absolutely on that point. Um, you know, I've heard statements. The, the state has all the smart people. They know best what to <laughs> do. And I'm sorry. For, and I look over the last few years with lockdown and, and, and just dealing with money. I, I don't think so. I, and so when you turn that, if you t take an example as the vouchers, don't know if that's the best or best, but there is a concept there that needs to be further investigated. You bring it down to the parents. Parents make their decisions how to best support their children, how to best support the, the money and so forth. I, I think that there's a possibility there. I, I, I cannot look up to the state to say they're the smartest people out there. Um, certainly there is some success, but there's a lot of not successful there. And we mm -hmm. have to look at that. So I think there's opportunities to look around. 
to see what's best to do. No, no, a- absolutely. And I think one of the things that has made this country, you know, in my view, the greatest nation that's ever graced the face of the earth has been, you know, that we've innovated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that we, we've always been looking for new ways or new ideas on how to do things better. Now, that doesn't mean that I believe in the progressive vision is we need to change just for the sake of change, yeah. you know, and try to take and adopt things which have been shown to fail everywhere else they've ever been tried. Yeah. Okay. Just for the sake of changing. Right. But it means we always need to be looking at things on how can we do this better? How could we be more effective? I and mean, that's yeah. how I made my living, yep. you know, in the private sector was going in and helping companies and organizations improve their business processes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, allow them to be more effective by streamlining them, you know, yep. or eliminating different touch points through the use of technology or, or better process. Yep. So we need to be applying those same type of principles to uh, to education. And unfortunately, I think uh, too many folks are, I don't want to say set in their ways, but, and, and, and Phil, I know you probably ran into this, you know, in the private sector and, and Bill, you as well. Mm-hmm. But how many times did you go in trying to help an organization and you say, why do you do that that way? And they all say, but that's the way we've always done it. Sure. No, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. And when you come in with your answers, always remember a prophet in his own country is a liar. So you've <laughs> yeah, always yeah. got to take somebody from outside to give you some answers. Yes, yes. Right, right for sure. But but you're asking what some of our readers are, or listeners, not readers, mm-hmm. but listeners, <laughs> what they should know about PR Kids First is if you look at the current uh, prime rich and board structure, we have four uh, PR Kids First directors on there, Christina Brusellis, Lisa Hillman, Amy Turchek, and Joe Cassidy. And you look at the candidates that are running. Now, those four are in for two more years in their term. you got Leslie Miller, Mike Weathorn, and myself. If we can get through the general election with the three of us, that puts seven PR kids first. And so, and I know where their heads are all at, kids, parents, community. They're all sitting in that space too as well. So I think that'll be excellent. No, I'm, I'm excited about your prospects. Look forward to see what happens this fall. Now, can we talk about issues here? One of the things we did talk about is curriculum. Okay. Uh, Phil, in Pine Richland, are there any concerns in regards to the current curriculum? Are you guys, uh, do you have any, what folks would term as uh, CRT or DEI or any of this other stuff that you read about? or you see on national media, is any of that yes. creeping in? Yeah, yeah, there, it absolutely is creeping in. And I am in the process right now of understanding more so that I'm educated mm-hmm. on what's happening. But on the current strategic plan, there was some information um, that, that I know that our PR Kids First would not necessarily be in support of. And so I don't want to speak out of turn. And so I really need to do further investigation, but I know that there is emotional learning and different things that are going on that we've got to make sure we have our heads around to see what's the, what's the correct way to approach that in Pine Richland. Okay. And, yeah. and I, I'd say, Sam, that, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've had kids in the, in the school system, so I don't have firsthand experience with this. But I do talk to other teachers, or other stu- parents, rather, and um, – I've heard we have two elementary schools, and I've heard that uh, as many as 15 to 20 percent of the kids in one of the elementary schools are confused about what their gender is. Now, you know, I, I understand this exploring, you know, what your, your gender might be, but I just think that that's creating a huge distraction in our school system to be preoccupied. And I, I'm a strong advocate of Moms for Liberty, and they've endorsed me. And I think one of the, uh, the, the principles there is, is that, first off, parents need to know what's going on. And then they, parents have the right to filter up to a certain age anyway, based on age and, and maturity level, what their kids are exposed to. And, and I kind of think that uh, diversity and exclusion goes both ways. I mean, if you're going to make room in the public school system to discuss things like gender or discuss things about revisions to history, you know, and, and uh, talk about victims and, and things like that uh, of, of uh, things that our ancestors have done, then I think it goes both ways. I, th- I think that the parents ought to be accommodated just like the interests of, of some of these social and cultural issues that are being pushed in, in the school system. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think, I, I don't know, to be honest, it's kind of percolating. I don't think it has hit, certainly Quaker Valley, as much as you hear about in some of the Virginia schools, 
but uh, it's coming here. And, and we have reason to believe that we, we spoke in the lobby about AIU. I don't know much about AIU and what their function is in Western PA with the, with the suburban schools. But uh, I'm told that, uh, that there's something coming about we're going to have to create a policy. It doesn't mean that we have to make a decision one way or another, but we're going to have to have a policy about biological males in female, in women's sports or in women's locker rooms or in women's bathrooms. And uh, if that comes, it's going to cause a huge uproar, I know, in our district because at least the voters that I talk to, we have a lot of older people, and, and, and most older people tend to be have traditional family values. And I, I think uh, they're going to really react if we're going to be pushed uh, to, to, get, to get into the, some of this stuff, and especially uh, biological males in, in female sports. Well, I can tell you that uh, <clears throat> the folks that are wishing for that, it is something that you'll probably have to weigh in on. But I can tell you that it's very unpopular. I mean, I just saw a poll today from Gallup, and Gallup was talking about transgender athletes in sports. And what they've shown is that 62% of Americans now, well, excuse me, a larger percentage of Americans now, it's 69% believe that transgender athletes should only be allowed to compete on sports teams that conform with their birth gender. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Look, I, uh, I I think it just depends on how dependent your school district is on outside money coming from the state or the federal government, because that's where all these initiatives come from. Well, and I think then those are the things that our voters should take into consideration when yep. they vote for their state legislators. Uh, folks, we're going to have to wrap this up. But I would just say you talked about a lot of that, Bill, and you talked about a lot of kids thinking that they're confused. Yeah. Okay. Confused. Uh, there, there, there is no doubt that social contagion plays a role here, okay, uh, in what they're seeing on social media or within their friends, which is helping to create some of this. But but that's a subject or a topic for a whole nother show. Bill, Phil, I want to thank you both mm-hmm. for appearing welcome, with Sam. us today on The Elephant in thank the Room. Thank you, Sam. No, yeah. you're welcome. Thank you. I think our listeners will find this fascinating and illuminating as to what's happening in the Quaker Valley School District in the Pied Ridge School District. Folks, this is playing out in your community and in your school districts today. Find out who your school board candidates are, get involved, and make sure that you vote. Come out and vote this November. Now, this is Sam DeMarco for The Elephant in the Room on WJAS, 1320 AM and 99.1 FM. Until next week, see you then.